Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. All right, get your Bibles out, get your apps out, get your notes out. We're going to jump in. Can you double duty right now? A couple of things. If you're like to save dates, I want to give you a save the date on your calendar. June 7, 8, and 9, 2019. So coming up real, real fast. Portico is going to be celebrating its 50th anniversary. So we're going to have a big blowout weekend from Friday through Sunday. We want you to be a part of that. If you're online listening, you better book your airline tickets now. You know, some of you are down in the islands and some of you are over in the, you know, the sort of the Near East area. So come and join us here. We're going to have a great time. So it's June 7, 8, and 9. Get it on your calendar. Plan for it. We're going to have a good time together. All right, let's get going. In your Bibles, go over to Philippians chapter 3. We're in a series, and it's called This is Living, Choosing Joy in Life's Everyday Moments. So we've been looking at how Paul has been writing to his friends in Philippi. We know he's there in 50 AD. Then he writes a letter about 10, 11 years later. They're going through some difficulty. He's over in Rome. He's chained to the wrist of an imperial guard. And he's reminding them that in spite of his circumstances, they can choose joy. So no matter what we're facing, we're learning how to choose joy. How are you doing, by the way? Everybody joyful? Doing all right? Okay, interactive church, just in case you forgot. We'll be there. So this is the time of the year that for some of you, I'm very sensitive to this, some of you, your joy quotient is seriously diminished, and I feel this because I'm one of you. I had to park my motorbike and put the cover on. I couldn't find snow tires. Apparently, they don't sell them for a motorbike, so I had to back it in and cover it up and get it all winterized. And so for those of you that are bikers in the room, we're going to have support groups, and we'll help you get through the winter blues, and it's all going to be good. We're going to make it through. In fact, a friend of mine, he sent me, he just loves me so much, a couple of weeks ago, he sent me a text, and I opened it up, and it was just a graphic image, and all it said was PMS. And I thought, what? And then I scrolled down, and it said Parked Motorcycle Syndrome. I go, oh, I get that. I'm totally with that. Now, if you don't know me, I love riding. It's one of the things, I mean, when you're on a powerful two-wheel instrument out there just enjoying everything in its raw sense with only three inches of rubber between you and the road, there's nothing like it. I'm going to have to work harder to convince you. I can see that. (laughs) You're going, you're insane. There's nothing like it. It's just such a thrill. It's a great experience. I enjoy it. But there is an inherent danger for those of you that are bikers, and you know this. The danger isn't on the road. Danger is not in the bike. The greatest danger for a a motorbike rider is other drivers. It's when you're on the car, and particularly when you're traveling the same direction on the highway, what I find is I have to pay more attention, not to the cars coming towards me. It's the cars that I'm traveling with next to me. Because a bike can move in and out of a blind spot on a car. So a blind spot, that's where your side mirrors and your rear view mirror to your left and to your right, just in over your shoulders, that they can't see you in there if you move too slowly going through that zone. And if you don't shoulder check, everybody shoulder check, right? Don't make me bang on your car on the way by. If you don't shoulder check, then there's, there is an inherent danger right there. 
So as much as I enjoy the sport, I'm also aware that you always have to be alert and remain vigilant when you ride the bike. And so do drivers. Drivers have to recognize that that's there. You go, well, well, Doug, why are we talking about this? Well, one of the things I love about the fact that our new vehicles have blind spot indicators. So there's a little warning. Some of you have the car, got the little amber light. If you have that, your car's nicer than my car. We'll talk later. You got the little alert and the tone and the amber light that comes on, and it reminds you that there's some danger in that spot. Pay attention to that. Why are we talking about that? Well, Paul has been talking to the Philippian believers, and over the last couple of weeks, I've been reminding you that he said that you're like a star in the sky. Everybody remembers that, right? Wow. Wow. Roll a video. Let's just go back. We'll roll the last couple of weeks' videos. No, you're like a star in the sky. Paul said you were made for this. You were made to shine like the stars in the sky, that when God chose you, and called you into his pathway of grace. And some of you haven't let this sink in yet. He goes, God loved you so much that you would be the star that would radiate his love and his grace into your sphere of influence. There are people that will only see you. And he says, you're the ones you were made for this moment so that you could shine the grace of God into your story. So it's not my job to shine into your world. It's your job. And Paul's reminding the Philippian believers that even when you go through hard times, You can choose joy and you can radiate this wonderful love. He says, who you are matters, how you live matters, and how you finish matters. All those things are powerful in our lives. So he says, as you shine like the stars in the sky, watch your character and watch your reputation because those will diminish your capacity to influence people around you. You can say all that you want, use as many words as you want, but he goes, in order to shine... Make sure your reputation and your character are at the forefront. And then two weeks ago, we looked at this whole issue that there's a dangerous recipe. Pastor Amitabh was speaking about this, and he said, if you take your religious history and you try to blend it into who Jesus is and you try to come up with a salvation through a composition, you're in trouble. He said, Jesus and Jesus alone is enough for us, right? So that's the grace. So Paul's writing this letter, and he's just like pouring out his heart to these people. And you can imagine being the recipient, and they're going, ah, oh, I'm a star in the sky. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're a star. You don't really believe that, do you? Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm a star, yeah, yeah. Some of you are going, oh, I'm a star. No, no, not that kind of star. You are the encompassing representation of God's grace. You. So no matter what the enemy has said to you this week and no matter what frustration you've gone through, you have this within you. You have this treasure within these jars of clay. You are God's star. And so he talks about this and the need for us to really understand this. Paul got this. In fact, he got it so deeply and so passionately, he broke out into this rant. So he's dictating his letter. His letter is being written down. He's chained to an imperial guard. And all of a sudden, he breaks into this whole piece in here. And if you look at uh, Philippians 3.10, he starts to talk. And as he, as he was talking about, I used to be a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and I used to be a member of the Pharisees. And he goes, I just want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to participate in his suffering, and even in his resurrection. And the Roman guard that he was chained to must have been thinking, man, you're crazy. Nero's probably going to kill you in a couple of days anyhow. But Paul was pleading with the people that were his friends going, do you understand what you have? Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? And here is the one who's teaching them. And he goes, I want to know Christ. And he builds, it's almost like this volcano was building inside of Paul. And then he makes this bold declaration. Now scholars note something. If you read Philippians, remember I said it's a letter. So we read the chapters and the verses. That's ours. We put that in there. 
but read it as a letter. And Paul goes through this wonderful sweeping motion and he builds up to this crescendo of saying, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of Christ in my life. Then he moves into a section where he gets a little, his words are almost like a little bit agitated, staccato. They just, they're riveting and moving, but there's a sense of urgency in them. Because there's something right after he says, I want to know Christ, that he tells everybody, be careful. Be careful about your life. So this is what I want to show you, because I think Paul shows us in my language, he points out some blind spots that maybe we're not even aware we might have. Now, how many of you know, we all have blind spots, right? Everybody does. We have blind spots, things that we do, habits, character traits that we may do, and we go, no, we don't. And we'll say, people point them out and go, I don't do that. And then later on you go, yeah, I do. I guess I do that. Paul points out that even in our spiritual lives, we have blind spots. And if we're not careful, if we don't recognize them, they could seriously impede our spiritual growth. So he points out for the Philippians some areas that they need to pay attention to. And so I'm going to use the language today for our purpose. Blind spots, three of them that are potential blind spots. Let's read a text together, verse 12, chapter 3. So Paul moves into this sweeping conversation with these words. He goes, not that I have obtained this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take a hold of that for which Christ took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, I forget what's behind, I strain towards what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together then in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before, and I tell you even now with many tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And he says, but our citizenship, our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. So what are the blind spots? Because Paul laid out a whole bunch of teaching in there. And if you were to look for him and say, well, what should I be aware of? What are the things that maybe are going to impede my life? I'm going to give you three of them. I want you to write them down. Go into your growth groups, talk about them, because these, these are important. First thing I want you to note is your past. I put it down this way. Keep your past in proper perspective. Because our past has this ability to either constrain us or cripple us when it comes to our spiritual growth. Paul is insistent that we guard or we watch and we deal with our past appropriately. And I like the phrase he uses, forgetting what is behind. Now, whether good or bad, we all have a past. Would you not agree? Okay, this is easy. How many of you have a past? You're still breathing, you do. And if you died, you still do. We all have a past. Now, some of us, we have a great past. So we look back and we think of all the trophies and the memories and we treasure that. We enjoy that. Some of us, we don't like our past because we see the brokenness and we see the woundedness. So we spend a great amount of time trying to control, manage, or even manipulate our past. And Paul understood something about growth. If you want to grow, you look to your future and you move towards the goal that you're moving to. But have you ever noticed how much energy we expend trying to deal with things that have already occurred that we can't change? We can't go back and change the past. We can learn from the past, and we can change our future. But it doesn't take too long in a conversation with people, and you'll find out, are they backwards thinking or are they forwards thinking? And Paul goes, you need to forget what's behind you. 
Now remember, he had just finished talking just a few uh, paragraphs earlier. He said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was a member of the elite club. And he goes, but I've intentionally chosen to forget the past so that I can move on. When I was looking at Paul's writing, I started to realize, I think there's a couple of things we do with our past. You maybe fall in one of two buckets. There are people who become enslaved by the past. So you're living in the middle of your regrets, your hurt, your woundedness, your brokenness, and that's controlling your ability to accelerate in your spiritual growth. And everything in your life is consumed around a moment in time or events in your past. And while those are real and those need to be cared for and proper counsel and nurture and leadership has to take place in there, Paul reminds us that we shouldn't allow them to become the anchor that becomes debilitating to our growth. So we have to learn how do we deal with our past appropriately so that we can actually pursue the future that God has called us to, right? So there are people, and a lot of people deal with that. They struggle with that. There is also some of us, we're not enslaved by the past, but we tend to enshrine the past. So we build it up better than what it was. How many of you are nostalgic? Right? Oh, now we're being very cautious. We love nostalgia. I love old cars. Like I can get caught up and I go, that was the best era until I drive them. And I go, they're not as good as our new cars. I I like what they look like, but boy, I love the convenience of the new car, right? No, no, follow with me. I have an old classic and I get in and I fire that thing up in the middle of the winter. It's cold. There's no seat heaters in there. There's no steering wheel heater in there. You're scraping the inside of the windshield so you can see out of that. That's how they were, but we go, oh, I wish we could go back to the good old days. And we enshrine the past and we make our memories bigger than what our reality was. Remember Israel? The Israelites had this wonderful way of enshrining the past and they would build it up better than what it was. We want to go back to Egypt. It was such a great place. The weather was so nice there. Oh yeah, we had a little slavery thing going on there, didn't we? Yeah, there was some mud and some bricks. And oh yeah, they used to beat us and kill us. But it's still good. We should go back. It was a good place to live. See, Paul recognized all of us have this propensity to allow our past to become a blind spot. And so what you have to do right now is you go on your spiritual trajectory of growth. Are you growing as a follower of Christ? Is the character of Christ in you becoming more and more prevalent? And are you developing that? Now, he said to do something. He goes, forgetting what is behind, he goes, I I strain and I press on. And this is some interesting language here. What happens the moment somebody tells you to forget? Now, have you ever forgotten something? Yeah, all of us have. We can claim that price. But the moment that somebody tells you to forget something, it's like it comes right back to your mind. You go, don't say that. Now I remember it. And as soon as you say that, it brings it to the forefront. So I could go along, talk for another 10 minutes. I'll go back and say, hey, you should forget what I just said. Well, you do that pretty good after week after week, right? <laughs> no, I know you're remembering everything. But Paul says, forget. And as soon as he does it, you go, Paul, don't say that to us. Because as soon as you say forget, now I remember. And you go, how do I forget and strain forward and press on? So the language that he's using here. So the the biblical language, when we think of the word forget, let's come into our contemporary language for a moment. We tend to view it this way. It's like we obliterate that event from our minds. We want to just somehow eradicate, get it out of our world. So you ever watch those demolition experts who take down old buildings? They get all wired up with explosives and everything, and everybody counts down. They go, boom, and it comes down to the ground, wait for the ashes to clear, and it's gone. That's sort of what we imagine here. Paul says, forget your past. So wired up, boom. And we wait for the ashes to settle, and it's still there. 
Because he said, forget, we still remember. So it doesn't matter what we try to replace it with, it's still in our mind. The biblical structure of the language here is rather interesting. Paul was, there's a little bit of a wordplay. What Paul was doing, he said, when you think about your past, don't become enslaved in or entrapped in it or don't enshrine it. He says, actually, use it to spring forward into your growth. Use it almost like a launch pad to leap off of. So you're not living there. You're actually using it to catapult you forward. So he started to use language that they would completely understand, and it's important for us. Because what Paul was saying to some of you, you were lost, but now you're found. You had been rejected, but now you've been redeemed. You were outside of grace, he goes, but now you're inside of grace. And he goes, when you get your mind fixed on this, it's easy to forget when you realize that's what I was and this is now who I am. But we get stuck on what I was. And Paul is going, no, 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 no. This is what we need to be able to do. We need to forget what is behind and we start to press on. And he has this wonderful way of calling all of us into account to make sure that we recognize this. Look what it says in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. And now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So when Paul says to forget what is behind, this is just a little indicator for us. It's a blind spot indicator. Do you spend the majority of your time thinking about your past? Or do you have your eyes fixed like Paul, knowing where you're called to and you're moving forward in your calling in Christ? So that's one of them. The second one that I pull out of the text right here, if you're going to write it down, it's your pace. Not your past, it's your pace. And Paul says something. He said, we, we need to pick up the pace when it comes to our spiritual maturity. So Philippians 13, if your Bible, uh, Philippians 3, go down to verse 13 if your Bibles are still open. So Paul said, I want you to forget what's behind, strain towards what is ahead, and I press on toward the goal that Christ has called me. Now, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I, I'm actually one of those guys who loves road trips. I love getting in the car and driving. Some of you just got a migraine. You're just going like, oh, I hate driving. Not the 401. That's not a road trip. That's a parking lot. <laughs> I like road trips. I, I enjoy with a family. We used to do these for family vacations. We would find some destination. We'd get everything set in the car. We'd even I'd stop and get coffee or make coffee. We'd get the tunes. And there's nothing like getting in the car. You get all settled for a road trip. You're ready to go head out on the highway, and the first thing that I do is I get myself adjusted in the car, then I get the cruise control out, and I set the cruise control at a pace that, you know, there's a good rhythm going on. Now, my speed that I set it at, I have an understanding with the Ontario Provincial Police. (laughs) There is a posted speed limit, and there's a negotiated speed limit. Everybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you live in the negotiation zone? Be honest, we're in church. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And the OPP outside right now, they're going, I oh, got license numbers. So there's, uh, there's this understanding that I have. I go, I know there's a zone that they'll leave me alone and I'll leave them alone. I think that's fair. If they're, you know, they're casually on the side of the road, I don't want to disturb them. So I try to find that sweet spot that's in there. So we'll get going. We'll be driving down the highway and I'll set a pace that I feel like this is good. It's got a really good rhythm and we're making progress in our life. Nothing irritates me more than having to touch the brakes and slow down because there's somebody in front of me who just doesn't understand road protocol. People, there are three lanes on the highway. 
the left lane is not for slow drivers. So I'll be in the left lane, and there's nothing that irritates me. You're getting aside of me. You didn't know I had, right? There's nothing that irritates me more than getting in that left lane and somebody's going slower than the right-hand lanes. And you know what drives me crazy? I'll stay in the left lane because I want to encourage them to get out of the way. And then that just irritates me even deeper. See, there's my friends. We're all in small group together. So I'll be there and I have to now adjust my speed. And I go, what's wrong? This is just normal operating protocol. Move to the right so we can get around you. This is how it works. And if you're that driver, come and talk to me. I want to help you with this. <laughs> so then I have to adjust and I got to move over to the right-hand lanes. And by this time, the whole you know, temperature in the car has changed a little bit. And then as I'm driving by, I have thoughts. I don't have godly thoughts. My, my joy quotient has been seriously diminished in that moment. And I do. I feel like I want to roll down the window and go, pick up the pace or move over. You feel that way? Oh, good. Feel my pain. Feel my pain. Work with me here. See, this, this is human nature. Did you ever think that faith is much like a highway? It is. We, we have a destination that we're called to. That's what Paul's saying. I, I got my eyes set on the, the goal. I know where I'm headed. And, and faith is like this highway. There's a destination that we're going. And he says, and as you're going down, Paul says, but there's people on the path that are not maturing. They're actually blocking others from progressing in their own faith. They're like driving in the left-hand lane of spiritual maturity. And he goes, and some of you, you're still over at the en route ordering burgers and fries. You've parked a long time ago. And he writes to his friends in Philippi, and he goes, I I need you to hear my heart. I want you to pick up the pace because who you are and what Christ has called you to and all that you can become in Christ should be of paramount importance to you. You shouldn't settle You should have this fervency in your spirit because he had just finished crying out. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the fullness of his power in me. So in verse 13 and 14, he goes, I strain towards what's ahead. I press on toward the goal. I want to win the prize. That's not a guy that's competing so that everybody gets a trophy and we all get there together. He goes, I want to be the first one across the line. So the word picture for the words press on, there are two word pictures, and they would have understood. The Philippians would have got it right away. The first, it conjures up that of a hunter. And it's about the hunter in pursuit for the capture. So when they heard the words press on in their language, Paul was saying to them, it's like the hunter. He's not out for a walk in the nature. You understand that. He's not looking at the color of the trees and the leaves and going, well, isn't that really cool? He's looking for the hunted. He's looking for what it is. What is his prize? What is his goal? And he goes, I have one thing in mind and I'm after that and I'm pursuing that with all of my heart. The other word picture that comes out that was more common for them was the foot race. It was the people, so in Roman games, over in Rome or over in Philippi, little Rome, Roman colony, they would all understand the foot race and they would see the athletes competing in the race. And he says, there's the purpose and intentionality about what they're doing and they press towards their goal. And he says, like a runner who sets his mark, his goal is not simply to finish in the position that he's in. He wants to overtake everybody and he wants to win the prize. So Paul writes to his friends, can you imagine they're in Philippi. They're struggling. They've had some difficult times. They're feeling persecuted by the Romans. They're not the object of favor. They're often d- diminished and dismissed from their own society. And Paul writes to them, and he goes, listen, don't get discouraged. Don't get distracted. You set your eyes on who Jesus has called you to be and run the race and grow spiritually. Listen, maturity is not inevitable. 
Aging is. We're all going to get older. But maturity is not inevitable. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. Spiritual maturity is not inevitable. People go, well, I've been following Jesus for 15 years. Does that mean that you have 15 years of maturity? Or you've just been following for 15 years? Laura and I went to John Maxwell one time early in our ministry years. And he was doing a leadership seminar. And the place was filled, thousands of people there. And we were listening to him teach. And I remember he stood at the front and he was speaking to leaders. And he threw out a challenge. He said, listen, those of you, your leaders, where are you going to be in 10 years? And I started thinking through the thought, what would I look like in 10 years? And he goes, I got a question for you. Are you going to, in 10 years from now, are you going to be a leader who has one year's worth of experience and you repeat it 10 times? And that's where you're going to be in 10 years. Are you going to be a leader that's going to continually learn and grow and you're going to accumulate 10 years worth of experience and you'll be a 10-year veteran as a leader? And he challenges the room. He says, because far too many of us are leaders who simply accomplish what we want in one year and then we repeat it, we repeat it, we repeat it. And I remembered those words and I started reading this text here and I thought, wow, isn't that sort of like how we are with Jesus? We come to faith, we do some of the basic disciplines, We become a student of his word, and then we set the autopilot, and we ride the left-hand lane, or we pull off to the en route, and we simply repeat what we had year over year, and yet Paul says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Get engaged in the game. He writes to the church that was being persecuted. He goes, get in there and press in and go for it and win the prize. Be who Christ has called you to be. Here's what Paul understood. We quickly settle for less than what God has destined us for. We're willing to accept far less than what God is even willing for us to accept. And he says, there's more for you. There's more in the realm of the Spirit that you can do. There's more growth that you can experience. And you can continue to experience the wonder of Christ being formed in you. I don't want to simply know about Jesus. I don't want to simply know about Jesus. I want Jesus to be through everything in me. I want the character of Christ. That's what we're going to do in a few minutes here. People are going to get baptized, and they're literally saying, who I am is being buried in these waters and who the person's coming up to be. It's all about Jesus from this point on. So don't let the water dry and our lives become dry. But let's pick up the pace, and let's be the people that Christ has called us to be. And Paul says, we can do that if we choose to do it together. And so he talks about the pace, and I think it's one of those blind spots. So you look at your past, you look at your pace, and there's a third one, I want you to write this one down. It's the people around you. It's the people around you. Be intentional about who you follow. Paul doesn't mince any words when he talks about this blind spot. In fact, I want you to have a look at the verse, verse 18 and 19. He said, as I've often told you before, and I tell you again, and he puts this in, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame and their mind is set on earthly things. Wow, that's pretty direct. He goes, and and I weep over this because Paul is saying there's, there's people in your sphere of life that are actually liabilities to you. They're not releasing you. They're not propelling you forward. They're like chains. They're like anchors. They're, they're pulling you down. And so he challenges them. Who are the people in your sphere of life? Who are you following? And should you be following them? And then he calls it out. In fact, then he goes on. If you look at uh, chapter 3, verse 17, he said, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those 
who live as we do. So for Paul, the role model in your life is integral to your spiritual maturity. So I need you and you need me. In fact, you need the person that's seated next to you. You know this, right? We need each other. So turn to that person and say, you need me. Some of you don't look convinced. You had that look on your face, you need me. You know, honestly, what happened in that moment? Some of you had a hard time saying those words. Because you know far too well that you're living subpar, below the maturity level that you've already attained. (laughs) Paul even says that. Let's at least already live up to what we've attained. But it's so easy for atrophy to slip in and we start to slide backwards. And we settle. And Paul says, get your eyes set on an example. Be intentional about who you're following. Find people that are going to stretch you. That's what runners do. That's why the imagery of the foot race is powerful. He said, look for the person who's a little bit faster than you and then start the pace, start the pace, start the pace, and you'll start to keep up to the person in front of you. And when you get them, find the next person in front of them and keep the pace so that you continually stretch and you grow. It's like going to the gym when you go to the weight set. You don't go over and slam 500 pounds on the bar and get started, do you? Well, a couple of you could pull that off, but I don't. But have you ever noticed, and this happens to me, you get to the gym and you're using some of those, well, it's been a while, and you get to the gym and you're using that machine and you see somebody there and they're like just banging that thing and you look at where it's set and you go, that'll be a physiotherapy session if I go there. So you find somebody else that has no weights on it at all and you go, I can do that. And you move the pin up one notch because you want them to know you're a little better and you're inspired to be a little better. And you're always looking for the person that's actually going to challenge you and that's why you have coaches to challenge you. And Paul speaks clearly about this. He says, follow my example. And he goes, and if you're not following my example then look for others who follow us and follow their example. But the real question, and I come back to this, when I had you turn and say, I need you, you need me. For some of us, we dismissed ourselves from being mentors because we know there are liabilities in our life that we haven't dealt with. There's limitations that we've allowed to come in. And we all fall victim to this. So let's, let's not, you know, kind of put all the pressure on one person. I think we all fall victim to this. What Paul was doing is he was encouraging the church, could we spur each other on to become better? Because that's what the Bible calls us to do. And as we find people who can lead, these are people to help encourage us and develop us. So the question I guess I'd like us to wrestle with, am I the kind of person that I would knowingly invite somebody else to follow? Do I have that confidence in my own pursuit of the character formation of Christ in me, my spiritual maturity? Am I confident enough that I'm willing to invite somebody else to follow me as I follow Christ? And if there's a gap in there or a hesitation in there, that's what Paul's calling us to. That's a blind spot. And he's going, then let's fill that gap and let's press on and let's be like the foot racer, let's be like the hunter and let's strain towards the prize. And let's become people that we follow, and let's have people follow us. And together, I think that's what Hebrews 12 is really all about, 
and you look at the wonderful picture in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, the wonderful, wonderful influence of leaders who've gone before us, and we become those leaders that others begin to follow. So as we look at our future, my prayer for you is this, that you'll shine like the stars, because that's what Paul said we would be. But don't let the blind spots slow you down. And if you're going to stay in the left lane and you're not moving as fast as the rest of us, move over. Because I think a lot of us are going to pass you. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, that is our desire today. What a wonderful opportunity that we have to pursue our faith in Christ. And it's so practical. How we live, the disciplines that we go through, the lifestyle choices, everything that we have, God, belongs to you. So I pray for all of us that we would learn how to be people like Paul, that will forget what was behind us. We will strain towards what's in front because, Jesus, you have so much more that you want to do in and through us. So may we never become settled until we see that citizenship that is truly ours upon your return. And I pray it in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen.